Today's sermon will be from Galatians 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 13 for us. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of God. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hinder you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach the circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you will call to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me uh, invite the kiddos to head on back. Uh, And as they do, let me uh, two things just to start us out with. Uh, one, let me remind once again the covenant members of Restoration Church of your responsibility and privilege to come back this evening at 5 p.m. at Washington International. What a great joy it is to exercise those keys of the kingdom that Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 16. So uh, we have a lot to talk about. It'll be a good time together. See you then. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is it's, it's not Restoration Church's uh, practice to comment on every political activity or march that happens in this city. If we would do that, we wouldn't have much time to preach God's word. Uh, but um, we do think, I do think it would be appropriate to comment briefly on the uh, marches of what's so-called alt-right or white supremacy that's happening later this afternoon in this city. Uh, and I do think it's important to, to comment for a few reasons. One, because this alt-right sort of folks, these white supremacists will sometimes uh, associate themselves with Christianity. And sometimes also they associate themselves with conservatism, which may or may not be Christianity, but sometimes is. Uh, and thirdly, I think most notably, uh, white supremacy is a blight on uh, the history of this nation in the church. And so it's important that we speak and act clearly as it relates to these kinds of things when they happen. And so three things very briefly. Know, first of all, that uh, white supremacy and things like that is pure evil. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. Uh, And you can rest assured that such sins will be judged. They will either be judged by those that repent of their sin and trust in Jesus to forgive them for that sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. It will be judged in Christ there as they trust in Jesus. Uh, Or it will be judged in the life to come where they will have to suffer this judgment of hell. So know that, that God will have the final word. And secondly, to my non-white friends, I want you to know that you're welcome here. We're glad that you are here. It is our desire to love you and to love you as we would love ourselves, as we're going to talk about today. We're so thankful that you're here. Uh, We're glad 
that you're joining with us. And to my fellow white friends that are in the room, this march reminds us that there's still a great work, deal of work left to be done. Um, we have a great uh, te- and terrible story of racism as it is done in the life of the church in particular in this country. And so it just reminds us that we need to pray and we need to plan in such a way as to push back this darkness and be the light of Christ to this nation and that. And by the way, for those covenant members, we'll spend some time praying about that and talking about ways we can do that this evening. So make sure and show up for that. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the revelation of your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for freedom. Oh, how we need it. Lord, we are all beggars seeking to find a home. And we thank you that we have one in Jesus. Help us to know what freedom is and how in particular to live it out as we look to live in Jesus and love others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are, uh, we're doing this short series on Christian freedom or freedom in general. And the reason why we're doing this uh, series on freedom is because I think oftentimes we talk about freedom, we want freedom, but we don't actually take the time to define it, to define freedom. And we go on just repeating phrases or thinking things that we've heard around us instead of actually slowing down to think about it. And as a result, I think people go on and on being enslaved, never really knowing true freedom. And I think this includes people inside the church. Uh, and you say, Nathan, well, how is it you know what freedom is? Uh, well, I don't pretend to know all the answers. I do believe I can know where a few answers are, but I don't pretend to know all the answers, but I also know where the answers are not. Uh, the answers for true freedom are not going to be found in Silicon Valley or Hollywood. The answers to true freedom is not going to be found in the political left or the political right. The answers to true freedom is not going to be found in the, just following mere tradition or in following the dictates of my own fancies. That's not where freedom will be found. I think we see the fruit of that in that uh, this is clearly not where freedom is found because all of those worldviews in one way, shape, or form puts you at the center. And I have news for you. If nobody's told you this, this world is not about you. You're going to be here for a short time and you'll be gone. There's got to be things, ideas, most notably God, that is greater than ourselves that has to be at the center. Therefore, freedom has to be found in Him. And so we see that in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ most clearly the freest man you will ever see. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave up His status, took on flesh to live in the earth. He had no wife. He had no home. He had no children. His friends abandoned Him. And He was murdered for doing nothing other than telling the truth. A truth, by the way, that did not accord with the cultural narrative. And as a result, He was crucified. And the reason why Jesus did this, He said, was for love. As we'll see, love for the Heavenly Father, love for His neighbor. And He did it of His own accord. Jesus was and is freedom. And we saw last week, just as a brief review from John chapter 8, Jesus said to abide in Me, to abide in the truth, and the truth we saw will set you free. Uh, We then asked the question, what is truth? And Jesus goes on to describe in John 8.34 that it's slavery, the opposite of truth, is, uh, is slavery is those that practice, that everyone that practices sin is enslaved then to sin. So you've got to be set free from that sin. And so we are guilty. We are culpable of that guilt against God. And the good news is, is that Christ has come to free us from that guilt. We saw that the freest man, Christ Jesus, to ever live, 
is able to free us. The Son can set us free. And until we trust the Son to set us free, we will always be enslaved. And so we define freedom by looking at how we can be set free from something, free from something and to something. From the guilt of our sin to love as Jesus loves or as God loves. That's what freedom is. Being freed from the guilt of our sin, being freed to love as Jesus loves. And all of that is only possible in Jesus. Christ then is our freedom, and freedom is Christ is another way of saying that. But today we ask the question, all right, Nathan, now that we've decided or now that we've defined what freedom is, how is it I live that out as a Christian? And if you're not a Christian, hopefully you can begin to understand how it is we as Christians understand we ought to be living this out. So how is it we then live this out? It's difficult, isn't it? I've read testimonies of slaves that had been enslaved their entire life. And they were given the news that their freedom was now done. And they go to sleep and they wake up and that next day they didn't know what to do. Even though they had been freed and they knew that they had been freed. Their entire life and their lifestyle and their way of thinking had been conformed to one way. They get freedom and they woke up and they didn't know what to do. I think many of us in Christ can identify with that. So how is it we live this out? Well, we're going to kind of make some begin we're going to kind of take a few steps down the road and then over the next couple of weeks we'll take some further steps down the road and we're looking as you heard from patria we're going to be looking at galatians chapter 5 verses 1 to 13 we'll take a look at 14 as well paul here paul is an apostle of jesus christ he's writing to the galatian churches and he's writing if you have your bibles take a look at 2 4 you'll get a good notion of why he's writing there he's writing because there are some people that have crept into the church unnoticed to what to spy out their freedom in order to try to take it away. And so he's speaking against that. And what was that freedom they were trying to take away? Well, they're trying to take away freedom by trying to add something. Namely, by trying to add law to the gospel. Circumcision. So they were teaching, in essence, Jesus plus circumcision equals freedom. And Paul didn't just call that one other road that leads to the top of the mountain. No, he called it heresy. He called it abandoning the gospel. And so we see in this passage or in this letter that Jesus plus anything leads to slavery. That's the context of chapter 5. So two points this morning as we answer how do we live in the freedom of Christ. First point is is that we stand firm in the grace of the Gospel. How is it we then live out this freedom? Well, we stand firm in the grace of the Gospel. Now you recall last week I said that when it comes to freedom, most Christians tend to fall off in one or two ditches. We tend to fall off on the one ditch. Some of us fall off on the one ditch. We're kind of inclined that way in that we are we know with our minds that Jesus paid for our guilt to set us free from that. But we kind of go on living in guilt. And we, we kind of try to quiet that guilt by trying to be really obedient. Doing the stuff God wants to do. That's one ditch you can fall off on. The other ditch we can follow off on as Christians is, is we are very much aware that we our guilt has been paid for and as a result we don't really look to obey much. And we sort of abuse that freedom. So you have on the one hand people that sort of are more inclined to forget grace. You have others that are more inclined to sort of abuse grace. So the first one we're addressing here, that will be the two points this morning. The first one, the answer to that first one is to stand firm in the grace of the gospel. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now isn't it curious that so many pundits of Christianity like to say that Christianity is enslaving and is restricting. And yet in reality, when we read the text of Scripture, we find that it's the very opposite. 
that freedom is found in being set free to love Jesus, to obey His commands. We'll talk about that more. But we see that freedom is found in our seeing that Christ has set us free. Or as Jesus would say it, three words. We said it last week. What? It is, you say it, finished. It's done. It's completed. So when Christ substituted Himself for sin on the cross, guys, He was not making possible atonement. No, He was affecting atonement for sinners that believe. He wasn't making it possible. He was affecting atonement for those that believe. And by doing so, He, the Son, set those who believe free from the guilt of their sin. He set it aside, taking the penalty upon Himself. So when we place our faith, our trust in Christ, we are taking hold of what Christ has already completed for those who believe. And so since Christ effected forgiveness on the cross, and since even faith is a gift from God, we can say with Paul, by grace we have been saved. By grace. We get something we do not deserve. We did nothing to deserve. Our obedience, none of it. All Jesus is obedient. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so Paul says then, stand firm, therefore. So because of that then, because Christ has set us free, it's done, it's finished, don't stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let me address that piece of it. Again, to a yoke of slavery. See, before Christ effected salvation, for those that believe, we were under the tyranny of the law. The law testifies to our failures, our rebellion, our disobedience. It hung over us, that guilt does. And that guilt some still does for some of you today. It hung over us like a cloud, reminding us time and time again of our guilt. It was a kind of yoke of slavery, as Paul calls it here. A uh, yoke would be one of those kind of wooden things you'd st- stick on a bowl to kind of guide it, make it do what you want it to do. And that's what the law was doing. And so many people think that obedience in the Christian faith works like it does in every other world religion. They think that the kind of Ten Commandments, if we can call, make that a summation of the law, if I just obey the Ten Commandments, people think this about Christianity. If I can obey those Ten Commandments good enough, most of all, God will be nice and He'll forgive me of my sin and let me go to heaven. Well, friends, that is not the Gospel. That's not the intention of the law. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is grace-based. Not works-based. At least not our work. And so again, Nathan, why the law? Well, Paul answers that question in Galatians 3.19. You can flip over there and see it. The law was added then because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. Not as a way to earn freedom. The law was not a way to earn freedom. It was added because of transgressions. And so as as disobedience entered into the world, More and more disobedience on top of that. Paul is saying here that like hikers labor to climb a big tall mountain, as they were going, the more disobedience we had, the more rocks were put in our pack, and the harder and harder it got to climb the mountain. That's what the law was doing. So as to what? Why would it do that? So that it would get so heavy and we would get so tired. What would we do? We would say, I can't do it. So then you would understand your need for grace. That's what the law is doing. Paul goes on to say, look at Galatians 3.24, right after 3.19. He says that, a few law, that the law was our guardian or a teacher or a kind of hard master so as to teach us to look to Jesus in order that we might be justified, that is made innocent by faith in Christ, in the work of Christ, not in our own works. 
So the law was teaching us something, guiding us into Jesus. That's the intention of the law. In other words, the guarding of the law was given so as to teach us that we cannot obey, that we are guilty. We need someone else outside of us to obey on our behalf and graciously count us free. And that's why Paul then gives that therefore statement in 5.1. It was for freedom that you have been set free. It's done. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again because before you were under a yoke of slavery, but now you're not because Jesus has taken it. But this heresy of circumcision adding to the gospel is trying to sneak its way into the life of the church. It's affecting people. And by saying that you have to be circumcised and believe Jesus in order to be saved, they were saying, Paul said, two critical things. They were saying, first off, Jesus wasn't enough. If you have to do something on top of Jesus, then Jesus wasn't enough. That was one thing that they were saying. And the other thing they're saying, by adding circumcision to it, that then means that you can do something to affect righteousness, that we can do something, I can do something to affect my own righteousness. And this is a critical one. I use this verse, by the way, when I speak to people on the streets about the gospel, probably more than any other verse. Because most people think you can do enough good stuff to be a nice person and go to heaven, if they believe in heaven. And I always point them to Galatians 2.21, where Paul says... If righteousness could be had by the law, then Christ died needlessly. In other words, God completely wasted Jesus if it was possible for us to do good enough. So, Paul is offering this polemic in Galatians against this notion. And he goes on there in verse 2, if you accept circumcision, note the language, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Doesn't say he won't be much of an advantage to you. No, doesn't say like he'll be some advantage. He says no advantage if you try to add stuff on top of the gospel. Verse three, he goes on to say, in essence, if you think you can obey that kind of circumcision part of the law, then listen, you can, then you're liable to all of it. Like you should be able to do all of it. And he goes on in verse five, we wait for the hope of righteousness. We, the Christians, wait for the hope of righteousness. And there he's referencing the last chapter of redemption. When Christ returns, restores all things, we already have been set free, but we wait for its consummation. And I want you to circle that word wait there in verse 5. Circle that word wait and write next to it, as I did in my Bible, grace. Because if you have to wait for righteousness, that means you can't affect it. God has to graciously gift it to you. And so the only thing that matters, says Paul, is faith working through love. Verse 8 reminds them, he, he reminds them of the character of this teaching of works. In other words, this is a good way in which to kind of despise out your own heart when you're believing lies about your freedom. Verse 8, he says there that this is not the persuasion of him who called you. In other words, Paul's saying, this is not like Jesus. I got an email from a guy this week, sort of saying things and accusing things to me, not in this church, somebody I've never actually met before in my entire life. And one of the things that gave me peace about it is like, this is not like Jesus. It doesn't sound like Jesus even though they claim to be Jesus of Jesus. So that's what Jesus is saying. Then he, or Paul is saying here, he goes on and says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, if you just get a little bit of this kind of teaching in the life of a church, it's going to start spreading around. And it's going to corrupt the whole thing. And in verse 10, he says something that our 21st American context does not really like to hear. He says there, he says, I have confidence. He doesn't have confidence in them, you'll notice. I have confidence in the Lord, that you will take no other view. So Paul's just saying here what Jesus said. There's one way to life and liberty and love and salvation. 
through grace and faith in Christ. Take no other view. Take no other view, no other view than Jesus and the sufficiency of His atoning work. No other view. By grace and love, trust Him and Him alone. Don't take any other view. That's why doctrine, guys, is so important. Gotta get this right. And then we get some Holy Spirit inspired rated R imagery there in verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Circumcision was cutting off the skin of a man's, well, you know. Uh, so he's speaking very stridently to this church. But I want you to notice something, beloved. This is probably one of the things that gave me the most peace in studying this passage this week. Did you notice there in verse 12 that if the law unsettles, grace settles. That's what we need. If the law unsettles us, then grace settles us. It's just peace. Paul's counsel here is again, it was for freedom. You've already been set free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that's the same counsel I have for you that are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Stand firm in the grace of the Gospel. Christ has set you free. But then you say, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. But Yeah, I get it. I see that in the text. But listen, I still have trouble with that. I still feel really guilty. I don't feel free. I feel guilty. Okay. Well, first off, I want you to notice that Paul is addressing doctrinal statements that add to the work of the Gospel. My guess is if you're in this church, you're probably not believing that's the case. But you probably are tempted to believe subtly that you can do something to assuage your guilt. If you obey good enough, you can quiet those guilty voices in your head. Some of you are compromising your freedom in Christ by your believing that like, well, I only read my Bible and had prayer five times last week instead of seven. And so, oh, I just need to work harder next week. I'm not free. Some of you think, well, I just need to pray longer. If I, or I need to give more to the poor. Or I need to whatever. Insert the blank. If I can just do that good enough, then, then I'll get this guilt off of me and then I'll be free. And friend, it will never work. It will never work. That's why you're not enjoying the freedom. Christ has set you free. And you're trying to pay off your guilty conscience. Again, probably not consciously, but more subtly. Do not, that's the words of Paul to you, if that describes you. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not trust in your obedience in any way to set you free. For freedom Christ has, perfect tense, set you free. Stand firm, therefore, as I'm saying, in the grace of the Gospel. I can remember a brother in our church long, long time ago, right at the beginning of our church. We're sitting in a community group. We're having accountability and we're sort of pressing on each other. How are you, brother? How's, how's your time of the word and prayer been recently? And he said something I've never forgotten. He said, uh, he said, I woke up this morning and I thought I need to get out of bed and I need to go spend some time of the word and prayer. And then he said, nope, I'm going to stay right here and enjoy the grace of God. I think that's good thinking. Here's why. Because that brother was understanding that I don't have to go do my devotional in order to enjoy the grace of God. Now listen to me. Don't get me wrong here. We're going to get to the whole second point in a minute. You can't use your opportunity of freedom to then sin. So you should go read your Bible and pray. The point is, is this guy's rehearsing for himself grace. 
It's not my, it's not my devotional life that makes me free. It's Jesus that makes me free. And so because of that, yeah, we can go in and then meet with him and read about him. And we want to, right? And I don't wake up every morning and say like, well, I have to go talk to my wife. Here I go. No. So no, I love my wife. I want to go talk to my wife, right? She's very gracious to me. These things we got to learn to stand firm in the grace of the gospel. But I do think there's another angle here for those that forget the grace of Christ and still live and that's free. You still feel that guilt even in Christ. There's another angle here. Some of you are thinking that if you if you can carry around your guilt long enough, then God's going to see that you really care and he's going to love you more. And you need to know that's not true. Some of you are thinking that if if I can just hold on to this guilt, this is something that I've done, whatever, or something that's been done to me, because God sort of sees how sorry I am and I hold on to this, God's going to love me more. But friend, while I am sure that this is well-intentioned, you should know that by doing this, you steal from Jesus. He takes all of your guilt. All of it. And so if you, if you say that you trust Him and then you also try to keep some of that guilt to yourself, you say to Jesus, I don't really need you for that part of my life. So if you're carrying around, friend, if you're carrying around sexual guilt or financial guilt or social guilt or any kind of guilt, in effect, you're saying to Jesus, I don't need you for this part, Jesus. And Jesus says to you, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free. Give it to Him. Isn't that what He says? One of the great commands. That's a command, by the way. Jesus says, cast your cares upon me for my yoke is easy the yoke of the law is not my yoke is easy my burden is light he invites you to cast all of it on you stand firm in the sufficiency of grace for all of your sin no matter what it is whatever whatever the guilt is in other words if any of you are trusting in any amount of your own obedience in order to secure or feel that freedom that christ promises you then i'd call you to repent and trust jesus and enjoy his love receive it Listen, don't trust your own obedience for freedom. Trust Jesus' obedience for you and enjoy Him forever. Stand firm in the grace of the Gospel. It was for freedom that you have been set free. But, as I mentioned before, there's another side to this. We have been set free from sin, but we are not set free to sin. That's what we see next. We should, on the one hand, those that are inclined to or guilt, we should live and stand firm in the grace of the gospel. But secondly, on the other side of the ledger, through love, serve one another. Through the love of Jesus, serve one another. Love of Jesus, serve one another. Now remember, we're asking and answering the question, now that we know what freedom is, how can we kind of get down the road a little piece as to how we use this? So freedom is being freed from guilt and to love. And take a look at the next thing Paul says in verse 13. He goes on to say, he just finished this whole notion you know, of, of not adding to the law. But then he says on verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. The word is Adelphoi. Every time you see that, by the way, you can always interpret brothers and sisters. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. And then Paul anticipates an error in the opposite direction. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. 
So while Paul is offering a polemic on those that are trusting in their own obedience, they're in nullifying the grace of Christ. There's another group of people that enslave themselves in another way by using their freedom in such a way as to spend it on themselves. That's what he means by there's an opportunity for the flesh. If you look down in verses 16 to 21 of chapter 5, you can see a list of those uh, fleshly things. He goes on to list those. And so Paul understands that there will be those that make the error of believing that since Christ has fulfilled the law for them, paying for their guilt, therefore they are no longer needed to pay much attention to the law and they can live largely how they please. We know that's what he's talking about because right after this he talks about law. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love. Don't use your freedom for yourself. Use your freedom to love others. That's freedom. That's freedom. And you say, well, Nathan, what kind of love? Well, the kind of love that loves neighbor as yourself. And you say, I think you ought to be saying, well, Nathan, how does that fulfill the law? How does that one word fulfill the law? Loving neighbor itself, how does that fulfill the law? Great question. So glad you asked it. Such a good one. You guys are such good thinkers. Because, listen, because by laying his life down for sinners, Jesus loved his neighbor in a way that he would have loved himself. And therefore, he fulfills the law for those that believe. You see that? Jesus, loving self, loving neighbor as self, that's what Jesus did in the gospel. Let me give you a verse. So this is amazing. See, the gospel, we see in the gospel that law, love, and liberty are not imposed to each other, but they are fast friends. Jesus prays to his Father in John 17, 26. One of the most amazing verses, I think, in the entire Bible. Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. I mean, can, can you imagine this? The love that the Father has had for the Son from eternity. He's praying, God, give that to them. Give it to them, please, 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 please. Let me be in them. And so, when Jesus, uh, by His grace, through His obedience to the law, fulfills the law for us that believe, He then implants us. He then loves His neighbor. He loves His people. As himself, because that's what he would want. He would want to know and enjoy the love of God, and therefore he wants his neighbor to do that too. So he's willing to serve them in love that they might know that love. And he's laying his life down, suffering, sacrificially dying to have those other people know the love of God, that they would then go and do the same. And so because of that, the law, the one word of loving neighbor itself fulfill, is fulfilling all of the law. 1 John 4.10, one of Restoration Church's favorite verses. right? In this is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and gave His Son to be a propitiation, a wrath quencher for our sin. Love is literally defined by the Gospel. Therefore, freedom is being able to love as the Gospel loves. And how does the Gospel love? How does Jesus love? Quite simply, love God with all heart, soul, and strength. And love neighbor as self. That's freedom. Here's the problem. 
Apart from Christ, we can't do that. We're so enslaved here. Which takes us back to that Oxford Dictionary definition of freedom. The operative way in which we understand freedom in our society, which is hurting so many people. That freedom is being able to think and act and speak and live however I want. By the way, that definition would fit those white supremacist folks that are marching this afternoon. That's not freedom. Freedom is being able to be liberated to know God and enjoy God, to worship God. And then out of His love, then go and serve other people. Notice where I'm not pointing. Freedom is being able to live for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. And not being so attentive to me and my preferences. And how I want to live my life and how I want things to go. Which is how we spend, if you're anything like me, spend up most of your time complaining about stupid stuff. You know, Wi-Fi goes down. You know, Come on, no! God, neighbor. Let's get back to that, Nathan, you idiot. God is so good. Billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are being spent to convince you that freedom is being independent and individually autonomous. And thousands, millions upon millions are believing it and are being enslaved. You, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, have proximity to the truth. I pray you have ears to hear it. Freedom is not found that way. Freedom is not found by putting me at the center, my preferences at the center, but the glory of God and the gladness of my neighbor. And Jesus makes that possible. But I do realize that people know that. I'm sure this describes most of you. You know those things, but you still struggle to live that way. See, while the, some Christians struggle to live in the freedom of Jesus, taking away all their guilt, other Christians... Um, struggle to feel as though they're free to love others, serve others as Jesus did. Or to say it another way, it doesn't feel like freedom when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Some of you are going, that doesn't seem like freedom. Right? Commandments and love don't often go in the same category as freedom. I thought freedom was having chains taken off, not have commands put on. Two things about that. First one's going to be more philosophical. Second one's going to be biblical. Two things about thinking that commandments are negatively binding us. And so therefore we don't feel that as freedom. See it as freedom. First thing, we have to pay more attention to the lies that we believe. Remember we said last week that believing lies is slavery. So, so, slave, so lies are deceitful. So we've got to be really careful how we're thinking. So we, 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 are, we are what we love, and sometimes we love the wrong things without noticing it. We become something that we are not in Christ. And so let me call your attention to a lie that you may be believing. A lie that Jesus says commands are for freedom. And you're having trouble believing that. Here may be a lie that you may be believing. You may be believing, you may be believing that freedom is found in being independent. Being bound by nothing and no one. That's what we're often told. And we certainly wouldn't want to be bound by commandments. But here, the reality is, friend, is everybody is bound by something. Everybody on planet Earth. Can't get away from it. Everybody's bound. The idea of independence is, if I can just break free from all these things that bind me, do whatever I want, that's freedom. 
That's not possible. Nobody on planet Earth is unbound. We're all bound by something. So, for instance, the agnostic is bound by their perceived inability of transcendence. To know and uh, transcendence. An agnostic is bound by their inability to think that they can know transcendence. An atheist is bound by their commitment that there is no transcendence. A materialist is bound by their belief that there's only the material world. The, the pluralist is bound by their one way of thinking about all religions. A Buddhist is bound by the teaching of Buddha. A Muslim is bound by the teaching of Muhammad. You get the idea. Everyone has a worldview and everyone is bound by that worldview. There is no true independent person. It is simply not possible. And so the pathway to freedom should not be understood as being independent of boundaries, but instead we should understand freedom to be to get inside the right ones. The ones that accord to reality. The ones that accord to love, to life, to true freedom. So I don't free a bike by giving it the option to lose its wheels. It was meant to roll, right? I don't free a fish by giving it the option to live outside of water. It was made to live in water. I don't free my marriage by making uh, making it possible to, ha- to have us have more options, more other partners. That's not freeing to my marriage. The bike needs to be bound by two wheels to do what it was made to do. The fish needs the boundaries of the water to do what it was made to do. A marriage needs covenantal commitments in order to do what it was made to do, to have life and love flourish. And so we need the boundaries of God's Word to love as we were made to love. You've got to see it that way, guys. You've got to see it that way. These are good commands for your joy. I love how Proverbs 3 puts this. You know, It's the pathway of pleasantness. Boundaries are not enemies of freedom. The right boundaries are liberators. Got to start thinking that way. It's the wrong boundaries that are the enemies of freedom. So this may be one reason why we're not enjoying the freedom of Christ. It's because we're believing lies about that word that it's enslaving, that it's restricting, and it's bad. It is slaving, it is restricting, but so are the ideas that you're thinking about freedom is. But my guess is they're probably not the best ones. Jesus was bound by His word and His word was good. And He wants it for you. He makes it possible you can do that. So if you're struggling to see that Jesus' commands as the way to true love and freedom uh, are um, against liberty, I would encourage you to think about the goodness of the boundaries of God's Word. And if you're struggling to see that, the goodness of God's Word and its boundaries, let me invite you to do the second thing I was going to mention. Study Jesus. That's revolutionary, Nathan. How long did it take you to come up with that? <laughs> Study Jesus. I just wonder if you've ever done that before. Go pick up one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I would encourage you, if you don't know which one, grab John. Pay attention to what gives Jesus joy. And who gives Jesus joy. And as you do that, as you're writing that through, taking notes, as you do that, take notice of Jesus' attitude towards the Word of God and the world. Just write those things down as you're walking through. See what gives Jesus joy and see what gives Him concern or anger. Just notice those things. I used to love in math class the the answers at the back of the book. Here you go. Here's the answers at the back of the book. Here's what you're going to find. If you do that, you're going to find there is no one you have ever met that is more free than Jesus, that is more full of love and freedom than Jesus. And you're going to find that Jesus was countercultural. He did not go along with much of what the world was teaching. He found freedom in being bound by the true teaching of God's Word. 
And he found it to be slavery when people twisted that word that gave him freedom. That was the thing that got him the most upset. When people were taking that word and twisting it to say something it wasn't saying. And so, what that should do for you when you see that is it should help you, beloved, see that God's word is not opposed to your freedom. You're the train and it's the tracks that you were made to run on to be free. This is why Jesus said, I always do what pleases the Father. Saw that last week. That was not restricting for him. That was liberating. Which leads me to the final thing that I want to say to those that struggle to find freedom in loving as Jesus loves. Those that are struggling to serve others instead of just providing opportunities for your flesh. Last thing I want to say, if Jesus really is love, He really set us free, His Word is the way in which we were meant to experience that freedom, then give yourself to the church. The church is the community of Christ. It's an outpost of the kingdom of God on earth. It's mankind out in front of time. See, commitment to a local church is seen nowadays because again, we're against sort of boundaries even though we, rec- we don't recognize that we all have them. So commitment to a local church is seen nowadays in America as something that is opposed to freedom. It kind of cramps our individual autonomy. And yet in the church, we, we find that one of the reasons in which it's a few of the reasons why we think church is cramping to our freedom is we are, we're confined by a statement of beliefs. We make a covenant with each other. We submit ourselves to each other. And like marriage, uh, we have expectations of each other. It all seems to be going the other direction from what we're told freedom is. But I hope, as I've just demonstrated, that everyone is bound by something, that Jesus was bound by the love of God as it was revealed to us in the Word of God. Therefore, a church that is trying to live inside the Word of Christ and help each other towards Jesus, towards His kingdom, towards love, towards one another, towards our neighbors, is the place of freedom for you. It's the best place you can be. A local church and its membership gives definition of who and where that freedom can be lived out with. It helps you see where those other ambassadors are of the kingdom. And so if we either keep the church at a distance, coming and going as we please, keeping our relationships to a select few, or a few that's a lot like us, or as is most common, we only receive and we don't regularly do as we read in this passage. Serve others well, then we lose the experiential joy of the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom is found, friends, in pouring out. Remember that example. God, neighbor. Freedom is found in pouring out, not only in drinking in. You should be drinking in. I'm trying to love you, my neighbor, this morning by giving you a good meal. The local church helps make it clear where we can serve one another in love. And this is exactly, by the way, where Paul goes. Just look down right after this in Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Pause there for a moment. We need to be serving everyone. But then he goes on. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a kind of priority there. And so friend, don't miss a good church in search of a perfect one. We're all flawed. I I lead this church with other brothers and other people and if I'm leading it you can rest assured there's going to be problems but try to find people that love Jesus enough to hold fast to his word they're going to do the best they can to kind of hold you inside of it 
and kindness and compassion. That's a good place to be. That's the way in which you can be taught and trained to live in your freedom by serving others. Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That is, don't do nothing with your freedom. Don't just take freedom. Serve it. Give it to others. Love God. Love your neighbor by serving them in the love of Christ. We're going to talk about that a lot tonight at our members meeting, by the way. How we can do that better. So freedom is found. This is how we live this out. If we know that freedom is being freed from the guilt of our sin to love as Jesus loves, we see how is it we kind of all right work that out. And we've said today that we work it out by first, on the one hand, is we give and trust Jesus to take all of our guilt and we don't try to perform in any way to earn God's love, your grace and mercy or freedom. And then the second thing we said is, is the way in which we then experientially enjoy that freedom is by serving everyone in the love of Christ, but especially the household of faith. Not just drinking in, but pouring out, giving, serving others sacrificially. That is freedom. This is not. So I'm going to finish with a story of a guy that kind of brings all this together for us. It's a true story. Happened years ago in the Middle East. I'm going to give him a different name. I'm going to kind of do the Pilgrim's Progress on you. I'm going to give these guys some names that are different than their actual names. True story, I'm going to call this guy Law. Lived in the Middle East. He was a very religious man, trained in the best school. He went to the best school in his area over there in the Middle East. He was devoted to his religion so that he would literally go door to door, find out who was a Christian, and he would violently hurt them. That's what law would do. That's sort of how he spent his time. Knew the law really well. And he thought, because remember, he knew he went to a religious school, this guy named Law, he thought he was pleasing God by his trying to hurt Christians because he understood them to be hurting the truth. And he thought that because he did this, he would experience freedom in that. And then one day, as Law was hurting more Christians, he met a person I'm going to call Grace. Grace was pleased to show Law Jesus. Law had always thought that his religious activity, his zealousness, would deal with his guilt before God. But after grace showed him Jesus, law was never the same. In fact, he had changed so much. Been born again, gave him a new name. Let's call him Mercy. Mercy, formerly law, went from hurting Christians to loving Christians because he became one by the grace of God. And not only that, mercy started telling other people uh, who were like he used to be about Jesus and about this grace of Jesus. And a lot of people began responding as mercy would go out and tell people about the gospel and the grace of the gospel. And like grace showed that law, Jesus, mercy was showing people Jesus. And as those people responded, what we find uh, mercy to be doing is he did what he was taught. As people would respond, he would gather them into churches, just like the apostles did. That's how they obeyed the Great Commission. Acts, what do we find them doing? Preaching the Gospel, gathering people that responded to churches. That's what mercy did. And he started teaching them and training them and helping them and encouraging them to appoint elders over them and to practice the Lord's Supper and baptism. And they would go on and mercy would do this other stuff. He would begin to do it in other places. But here's the thing. Mercy was talking a lot about freedom and the freedom in Christ, but guess what? He suffered. Mercy suffered a lot. Matter of fact, he died preaching the Gospel. Mercy would later say in a letter to one of the churches that he sought to begin, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. 
Talking about Paul, right? Paul's the same guy that wrote this letter. That's his story. A guy devoted to religion. Thought he was free and he wasn't. He found freedom and the love of Christ assuaging his guilt. And then sacrificially serving others. Like Jesus, he was an incredibly free man, but in the eyes of the world he wasn't. But he was. He was. And it was that way. He was free because he loved Jesus. And he loved Jesus' his people. That's the way of freedom. That's what freedom is. That's what freedom does. Christ is freedom. Freedom is Christ. And friend, if you don't know Jesus, or if you've never understood the gospel this way, can I invite you to respond today to the gospel? Talk to somebody about it. Talk to me. Talk to somebody else. Talk to the friend that brought you. You may be understanding that freedom is not your obedience. Hopefully by grace you're beginning to understand that Jesus is what you need. That you're like that hiker that has too many rocks and you're coming to the point to where you're needing to reach out. Look to Jesus. And so, trust Him. And for the rest of us, go and enjoy your freedom this week. Go and enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ. You have in Christ. And tell others about Him and enjoy that freedom all the more. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom that you offer us. Thank you for grace. May we stand firm in it this week. And Lord, give us more grace, we pray, to serve others in your love. And by doing so, God, may we put off our gaze upon ourselves and gaze up towards you and out towards our neighbor all the more for the glory of your name and the gladness of our neighbor and the joy of our souls. We pray this in his name. Amen.